0: A few weeks ago on a uh, Saturday night, I was uh, sitting in my recliner scrolling through Facebook. Um, there I didn't have much going on, and uh, and I came across one of those um, pages, a post from one of those pages that I belong to, that um, one of those what's happening in, anybody else part of one of those groups? Like, right? I'm a part of like five or six, right? Just to kind of know what's going on all through town. And this one happened to be Uh, about right in the community that I'm living in, and it was a story about the Chick-fil-A where my oldest son, Morgan, works at. And I thought, oh oh no, I better read this. Uh, Often I scroll right through those, because I wanted to make sure, number one, that it wasn't about my son. And if somebody was disparaging Chick-fil-A, I wanted to know about it, because I believe in truth, justice, the American way, and Christian chicken. And don't nobody say nothing bad about Christian chicken. Um, So I just wanted to read about this. And it was actually a post from a mom of a young lady that works in the outdoor drive-thru for the Chick-fil-A. And uh, this uh, man had come through the drive-thru, and he rolled the window down immediately, and he asked the young girl. First thing he did is start witnessing to her. He said, do you know Jesus? And she said, yes, I do. And they, they had a brief conversation about being Christ followers. And, and he ordered a milkshake. She brought the milkshake back and uh, it had some milkshake on the outside of the cup. And he asked her if uh, she could use the towel that she was holding to wipe off the cup, if she would mind. And she told him, she said, sir, I'm, I'm really sorry because of COVID regulations. Like we just, I can't, I can't do that. I'd be happy to go get you a cup of water, small cup of water and several napkins for you to wipe the cup off. So he said, that's fine, go do that. So he comes back, hands, Uh, She comes back and hands him the cup of water and is about to hand the napkin. And he says, will you dip the napkins in the cup and wipe the outside of my cup off? And she said, sir, I, I wish I could do that, but we can't reach into people's cars because of all the restrictions right now that we have. And in his anger and immediate frustration, he just threw the cup of water on her and drove off. And the, the post was, was, was littered with comments about how people saying that that just is typical of Christians, right? And in fact, it was really interesting. There were several of our mountaintop people I saw posting and replying to saying, no, 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 that's a bad representation. That's not who we really are. That's, that's not the way of Christ followers. But for some in the world, that's a perception And for them, their perception is their reality. And that wasn't in Seattle, and that wasn't in Denver, and that wasn't in Miami. It was a mile from my house. And I believe that we are called to change that perception. For the last few weeks, we have named some God-sized, huge, audacious goals and dreams by 2030. We said that we believe that God is calling us to reach 10,000 people, that uh, God is calling us to reach 1,000 baptisms, and we only have 999 to go. We had one this morning, right? Since we announced that, we're counting that toward that 1,000, 1,000 baptisms in the next 10 years, and unite 100 churches in our community together as the seed of revival in our city. And we believe that we are called to invite people in, to speak the language of the community, to invite them to follow Jesus. And I just want you to know, I think we are capable of so much. I think that we have the capacity to reach so many for Christ. You are talented. We have an incredible facility. We have a great name in the community. We have a staff that works hard and wants to work hard to help you, to serve you, to lead you. We have rock star volunteers. I believe that God's called my family uh, to be here and called me to preach the good news in this place. And I think you're ready to invite your friends. And and I think we have a community that is hungry, that is a community that's hungry for, uh, for purpose, for meaning, and for the grace that we believe in. I think we have the capacity to reach many. Those are some big, audacious, huge numbers right here. But, but if we grow a crowd, but don't grow disciples, we grow a club, but not a church. If we reach all those numbers and all those, uh, and all those audacious goals, but we don't grow disciples, then we grew a club, not a church. And I didn't sign up to be club president. This is, this is an important part that we often miss in the story of Acts 2. And that's what we've been looking at for the last three weeks. And we're going to finish it up today. And it's so critical to understand, because last week we finished up, and if you're just new and you're just watching us, last week we finished it up where 3,000 people get saved and get baptized. That's pretty amazing. 3,000 people come to Christ. It was quite a moment, but I'm glad they didn't stop there. Now, the truth is, if you would ask any pastor in America about this issue, about this issue of discipling people of growing disciples and not just growing a church there is not a pastor in america that would say oh yeah we are killing it at this we are knocking it out of the park in fact every pastor i talk to says that this is the biggest struggle this is the biggest or and there's a reason it's really hard to do it's really hard to, to lead people. It's really hard for, to, to lead an organization for a church to really go deep in their love of Jesus. But this is such an important part of our vision, that we invite, and this is what we're going to talk about today, and equip people to follow Jesus. Yes, we want to invite people in and have a wide funnel to invite people in to, to follow Jesus, but we want to equip people to follow Jesus in their community in their schools in their jobs in their neighborhoods with your finances in your decision making in our everyday lives we want to equip you to follow jesus outside the walls of this church it is not just about growing a crowd to come inside the walls it is about equipping people to take this faith outside the walls. see here's what i want to tell you we don't want to just grow the church we want to grow you Like we don't, it's not just about numbers of people. It's not just about, it's about growing people as well. We want to grow you. And I believe, I believe that this is the key to changing the perception that that Chick-fil-A Facebook post spoke to. Because if we all have four Birmingham stickers on our cars, but don't live lives, that are for Birmingham, stickers won't matter. If we have a cool new church logo, we'll introduce one in a few weeks, but we are not new creation people, it won't matter. It's just marketing gimmicks and tricks. If we, if we don't, truly live into this faith. If we only have accepted Jesus, but we don't really follow Jesus, it won't matter. How many people are here, how many people we grow to, but, but, if we will lose ourselves, Jesus said we'll save ourselves. If we will be willing to die to ourselves, Jesus said that we will find our true lives. If we are willing to lay it all on the line and give it all to Jesus, something will happen. We won't just make converts, because Jesus never commissioned us to do that. He said, go and make disciples. And this is so important, and you're gonna see this in this last piece of Acts 2 that we've been studying, that the best vision, For our church is God's vision for the original church. And this was God's vision for the original church. It was not to just make converts. They didn't just finish the story with 3,000 people baptized. There was another step that they took that literally changed the world. And so I want to I, I invite you to open your hearts to see that. And what you're going to see are two strategies I want to introduce to you before we read the passage that we're, gonna, we're taking straight from this passage that are going to be a part of our ministry. Here's two strategies that we want to design systems where everyone serves because everyone has a purpose. We do not think that you just need something else to do, so that's why we ask you to volunteer. You probably don't need something else to do. We believe that everyone has a purpose and that every purpose matters. So we want to create systems where everyone serves. And you're going to see in the story of the very first church how all 3,120 people served. And if that's what God's vision was for the original church, we believe that should be God's vision for our church. And we want to foster a culture in which disciples make disciples. We want to foster a culture in which we are reproducing and multiplying. Does we believe healthy things grow? We want a culture where small group leaders are raising up a new small group leader, where serve team coaches are leading and empowering new serve team leaders, where disciples are making disciples and everybody is discipling someone. So that's where we're going to start. Those are some strategies, and you're going to see those strategies right in the scripture of the first church. After 3,000 people come to Christ, they did more than just believe, they did more than just accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and they did more than just get baptized. Those are critical, important, huge first steps. But listen to what comes next. If you got your Bibles, we're in Acts 42 through 47, the last six verses of the the book. We've been walking through it for three weeks. If you don't have a Bible, pick up one as you leave. If you're here, we'd love to give that to you. If you're watching at home, the Bible app is a great thing to have on your tablet or phone so you can follow along. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer." They became devoted. Oh man, what a word. They became devoted. Do we know what it means to be devoted? Peter preaches the very first Christian sermon, 3,000 people get baptized and get saved, and those 3,000 people become devoted. They didn't come up to Peter after the sermon and say, that was a pretty good message, Pete. We'll be back next week. But by the way, the coffee was a little cold. The music was a little loud. And children's ministry was a little chaotic this week. But I'm sure you'll get it figured out by next week. If not, James and John are holding services down the street. We might check it out instead. They became devoted. Devoted. They devoted themselves. Would you just say that with me? They devoted themselves. Listen, I want to inspire you. I love doing what I do. I love doing what I do. I want to open up the scriptures to you. I want to share the good news with you. I want to remind you of God's promises and of God's faithfulness. I love doing what I get to do. I love communicating the wonders of God to God's people. And our staff wants to equip you and give you opportunities. But if we create systems where it is my job or our staff's job to feed you, then we have failed. Because the very first church changed the world because 3,000 people decided that they were going to devote themselves we can equip you we can give you opportunities but if we're going to be a church that impacts our city we need people to devote themselves to their own discipleship spiritual growth and formation we want to give you the tools but here's what I want you to know no one can make you devote yourself to your own spiritual growth I can't do it no pastor can do it no staff member can do it no small group leader can do it and Teenagers, students, no parent can do it. No one can make you devote yourself to your own spiritual growth. So let's look at what they devoted themselves to and see what God did with it. Do you remember? It was four things. First thing was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the scripture. They probably read them the Old Testament. I mean, this was cool. These were eyewitnesses who had experienced Jesus, so some of the guys that wrote the Gospels actually told them about their experience with Jesus. But they devoted themselves to Scripture And if we're going to be a church that makes a dent in the spiritual heartbeat of our city, then we got to be a people devoted to Scripture. And I can open it up for you on Sunday morning, but if Sundays are the only time you ever ever come into contact with the Scriptures, you are not going to grow spiritually. And I can't make you get up 30 minutes earlier to read it or stay up 30 minutes later or make you take your lunch break. No one can make you do that. But you gotta wrestle with this. You, you gotta take this in. You gotta let it wrestle with you. You gotta let it challenge you. You gotta let it impact you. You gotta let it make you mad sometimes and pray about it. You gotta let it get inside you. And 30 minutes or as my staff might say, sometimes 37. 37 minutes on Sunday morning ain't enough. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. They devoted themselves to scripture. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to each other. They devoted themselves to one another. They devoted themselves to relationships, to to joining together. If you've, if you've been in church for a long time, you've probably heard this word, this is a Greek word for fellowship that Luke uses, that he writes here. If you're new to church, this might be a new word for you, so, um, so this will be a new step for you today. But it's the word koinonia. It, it, the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, and it means intimate covenantal relationship. This means This means that, that they were in covenant with one another. They were committed to one another. They were devoted to one another. They were going to stick with one another. We need that accountability. That means means there is power in devotion to the local church. There is power in commitment to a small group within the local church. We need relationships. We need koinonia. And I I wanna tell you something. There's a problem in in the American church right now that's hurting koinonia in local churches. And it's called church hopping. It's when I don't get my way or I don't like something and I leave a group of people because I wanna go get my need met somewhere else because I'm not getting fed, so I'm gonna go get fed somewhere else. And I'm not telling you that there's sometimes God leads us to new congregations. There's sometimes God leads us to new ministries. But I want to tell you if you spend your whole life church hopping to meet your needs, you will never experience koinonia. You will never experience that fellowship. You got to cry together. You got to hurt together. You got to mourn together. You got to rejoice together. You got to laugh together. You got to grieve together to get koinonia covenantal relationship. And you can't get it if every time you cry, you leave. Because the times that you laugh and celebrate and rejoice sure are sweet when you have hurt and cried and mourned together. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. For them, that would have been formal acts of worship. They devoted themselves to worshiping together. For them, that might have meant communion, but it's truly the formal act of worship. And I believe that worship matters. I believe that gathering in worship matters. And man, the last seven months, we have learned new ways to gather, in person and online. And I'm so grateful for both. I'm so grateful for technology that we could gather when no one was in this room and everyone was on the other side of the camera. And just this week, I've had so many people, uh, I don't know, I've, just, I've run into two or three or four people this week who, who have just said, hey, I wanted to tell you I'm watching every Sunday, but you know, we've got some health concerns, so we're still at home. Thank you so much. I know so many of you are watching right now. And here's what I wanna, here's what, or what I want to invite you to. I want to invite you to devote yourselves to gathering, whether it's online or in person, to make Sundays a priority. So somebody is gonna be watching this on demand. So if you're watching this or listening to this on demand, and we all have vacation and we travel or we're working sometimes, and that happens, or maybe someone invited you to catch this message after the fact, and we're grateful, that's why we provide it. But you can watch a sermon on demand, but you can't gather on demand. So I wanna invite you, if you are at home online and you've got health concerns and you need to be online for a while because of those health concerns, I wanna invite you to make Sundays a priority. Gather at 9.15 or gather at 11. We want to make those, those times a priority. If you've got two or three people in your family or maybe some neighbors or a small group that you are seeing, but you're not ready to be in a crowd and don't need to be for health reasons. What have you gathered with those people on Sunday? But even if you're by yourself, I want you to make Sundays a priority. Hey, there's one more invitation. If you can gather in person, let's make Sundays a priority. And if you're there for health reasons, I want you to be healthy. But if you've got into the habit of watching online because you figured out your PJs were more comfortable than your jeans, maybe it's time to come back in person. And hey, good news, you can wear sweatpants to mountaintop, nobody cares. (laughs) Amen? Amen. If you're at home for health reasons, you stay home as long as you need to. And this will all be over one day and I have no idea, but we provide this because we want you to be safe. But if you can be here in person, Let's gather. There's something that happens whether we gather digitally or whether we gather in person on Sunday mornings. The last one is that they devote themselves to prayer. That just means they prayed, they <laughs> devoted themselves to prayer. We're making prayer a part of our worship, a part of our community in January with a day of prayer fasting once a month. But this has got to be something that we devote ourselves to. If we want to see the supernatural move of God, then we need to pray to a supernatural God to do supernatural things in our midst. And maybe that explains what happens next. After they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, it says this, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And I believe that everyone in our community, if we will devote ourselves to these things, will be filled with awe. And I believe miracles will continue to be happening. I believe marriages will be restored. I believe hearts will be healed. I believe addictions will be broken. I believe lives will be changed if we will devote ourselves to the things of God. The next verse, verses double down on their commitment to one another. And I want you to listen to how many times it says the word together, that Luke writes the word together in the next few verses. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet, say it with me, together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were together. They shared life together. Their financial contribution was a part of their commitment to the fellowship and devotion to the fellowship. And if we're going to be all the church God uh, wants us to be, it's got to be a part of our discipleship, and it's got to be a part of your life if you want to grow. You will never learn to fully trust God until you trust God with your resources. I mean, if we just all tithed and gave our 10%, There's no telling what God could do through all of us together. They gave sacrificially together. They shared together. They served together. And then, here's the cool thing, they didn't stay together. They went out into the temple courts, which in Jerusalem would be where the biggest crowds were, and they began to live into the community. And they begin to share in the community. And they begin to speak into the community. They begin to love in the community. They begin to lead other people to Jesus in the community. Out in the temple courts. And if we're gonna accomplish our last two goals that I wanna share with you, it's gonna take all of us serving together, giving together, living together out in the temple courts in our lives. So here's the last two goals over the next 10 years that we have. The first one is to empower people to serve through 104 Birmingham projects. It'll be 99 after Saturday because you're going to give eight full-size. Come on, you could do king size. You're going to give eight big pieces of candy as a a four Birmingham project. Over the next 10 years, we want to do 100 projects just to be outside the walls of our church. And the last one is we want to give $2 million to global and local ministry partners over the next 10 years. Giveaway right now. We give a little over a hundred thousand dollars to our global and local ministry partners So you figure that would be a million dollars over ten years So we're gonna have some catching up to do on the back end, but I believe in you and I believe we can do it And I believe in big God-sized dreams But we will never reach those goals without a church full of devoted people we can't staff our way to this friends We can only disciple our way to it. But I want you to see the closing verse. It's stunning. It's stunning. It's it's one of the most powerful verses in the whole New Testament. It's one of my favorite verses. And it's the exact opposite of the Chick-fil-A Facebook post. Listen to what Luke writes. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Whoa. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We live in a world where people think Christians are judgmental and hypocritical and uh, we're we're full of condemnation. But they lived in such a way that they enjoyed the favor of all All the people in the community. And I just want you to think about this. Imagine a world where Christians lived in such a way to enjoy the favor of all the people. Imagine a community where people said, man, those mountaintop Christians are the best neighbors. I always wanna do business with those people from mountaintop because they're the most fair people I've ever done business with. They're the best people to be volunteers in our schools because they have such a servant heart and they're so generous. And I'm so glad that my kids are friends with mountaintop kids. I only want my daughter to date mountaintop boys and I only want my boy to date mountaintop girls because they're the best teenagers. I don't know that I believe anything that they believe about Jesus, but I'm so thankful those people are in our community. They make it so much better. Can you imagine that world? Can you imagine that world? That is what it means to enjoy the favor of all the people, and I just have to believe if we would be that kind of people outside the walls of our church, that the Lord would add to the number daily those who are being saved inside the walls of the church. Friends, if we grow a crowd, but don't grow disciples, we grow a club, but not a church and we're going to grow disciples 28 years ago that was what some incredible pioneers set out to do to change our community and that's really been the story that's really been the story for peoples whose lives have been changed here at mountaintop over the last 28 years and you're here and i'm here so our lives have been changed Over and over, when you talk to people who have had their eternities changed and their marriages changed and their lives changed at this church, I mean, it wasn't the music or the ministries and it wasn't the preaching. The story's the same, it's always the people.